would, grab a Bible and uh, get to the Gospel of John. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in a seat back somewhere nearby you. Just uh, grab a copy of God's Word and get it out in front of you uh, to John chapter 11. Uh, we have just been uh, walking through John's Gospel and pretty simply just uh, opening to a passage and letting God's Word uh, show us more of the glory of Jesus. And as, as you settle there in John 11, I just want to remind us uh, that John, at the end of his gospel, he gives us the purpose of why he is writing these things. And he says, uh, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And uh, this, what we're going to study today, I believe to be uh, one of the, one of or the most important spiritual truth all of us need to come to terms with in our lives. Every soul that walked in here today walked in here on purpose uh, because every soul needs to come to a reckoning with what uh, this, what this story unpacks of who Jesus is. And, and I just want to read in the first couple of verses of John chapter 11 how this chapter starts. It says, now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the, sister, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, by uh, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. I just want you to stop there. And for those of you who maybe have a bit of a church background or some familiarity with the Bible, uh, that is an odd statement because you know what's coming. For those of you who may be newer to the Bible and don't have a church background, you're about to find out why that's an odd statement. But Jesus has just said this, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. And then there's a so that, there's a purpose, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Folks, today we are going to watch a death that does not lead to death. Today we're going to see a death that culminates in life. We know nothing of the sort apart from Jesus. All of us in this room, when it comes to death, it feels from a very earthly perspective like a very final thing. Many of you know that all too well in your life. But today, we see a death that does not lead to death. And from this setting of Jesus hearing a beloved friend who is ill and making this statement that this is the kind of death that doesn't ultimately lead to death, that this story is going to crescendo into a statement that Jesus makes about himself. And I, I want to give you this statement because I want to set it as the centerpiece of the whole story that we're going to study here today. But Jesus is going to say very, very quickly and where we're going to get this. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is where this story is going. A statement that Jesus himself is the resurrection and the life and a question that all of us have to answer in our hearts here today. Do I believe that? 
And so we're going to make our way through this story in just in five parts here. Part one, I'm calling the paradox. Part two, the promise. Part three, the passion. Part four, the proof. And part five, the plans. And so let's pray and ask for God's help as we let his word speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we do come before you and we bow our hearts before the authority of your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, we, we claim all the promises that your word makes about itself, and we ask that those promises would uh, come to fruition in our midst here today. So Lord, as your word goes out, would you hide your preacher behind your word, and would you keep your preacher under your word so that it's your word that goes forth and not my own, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at this paradox here. Part one, the paradox, beginning in verse five. It says, now Jesus loved Martha. Jesus what? He loved. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This is the second time we're told of Jesus's love for Lazarus. He loved Martha, he loved her, uh, her sister, and he loved Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he dropped everything that he was doing and he rushed to Bethany. Is that what your Bible says? So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That doesn't sound very Jesus-like. What we expect, and especially if you're newer to Jesus, what you expect is when, you, when Jesus gets word that one of his friends that he loves is ill, and it seems by the urgency ill to the point of like on his deathbed ill, what we expect Jesus to do is drop everything, rush to the city, and heal. And we know that Jesus has the power to heal. And yet what he does is he deliberately doesn't do that. He deliberately stays where he is at. And here's a bit of a spoiler alert if you're not familiar with the story. It seems that he's staying up to the point where the friend actually dies. Some friend Jesus is, huh? What is up with this? He's doing this for his glory. And he's doing this for the greatest love of this family and his disciples. Look at what we're going to see here in verse uh, 7. It says, then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now it's time. Now it's time to go down. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Uh, excuse me, teacher, if I can so gently remind you, the previous times we have traveled to Judea, it has ended in crowds wanting to stone you, and you want to head back there again. And now Jesus' reply to his disciples here on the surface isn't entirely intuitive. He answers with a bit of a, a, an illustration and a picture, and he says this in verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That's a bit of an odd reply to his disciples going, teacher, are you sure we should be heading back to Judea? 
Jesus is not trying to unpack for them the way by which they're going to travel. We're going to travel by day and we're going to hide at night. Jesus is making uh, a really important point with this picture. He says, I understand that people are trying to take my life, but we are going back to Judea in the light of the will of the Father. We are not going in the dark. We are not making a foolish decision. We are going back to Judea in the light of the will of my Father. I have to walk back into the teeth of those who want to take my life, and I will walk back into the teeth of those who want to take my life. And oh, by the way, disciples, if you are coming with me, you also are not going in the darkness because you are walking with the very light of the world. And so this is not something we go back in darkness and we are going back in the full light of the will of the Father and in the light of the light of the world. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing here. And it's actually what's going to happen in this little sleepy town of Bethany that's going to culminate in Jesus being in the final part of his journey to the cross. And so he's telling them this and after uh, verse 11 after saying these things he said to them our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him the disciples said to him Lord if he has fallen asleep he will recover now I love the disciples because I relate to the disciples if Jesus said the sick guy's sleeping I'd be like let's let him nap let's let him sleep it's gonna make him better Now Jesus, verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, listen to this now. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Here's another so that. So that you may, what's the Bible say? So that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now, I love Thomas. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Let's go die with him. Let's go. But here's the paradox. Jesus waits until his beloved friend is dead to go back and do something that will bring him glory and will lead to an unshakable faith for his disciples and for these sisters in whom he loves. But this for sure is not the main point of the story, but I just want to raise this before us. Jesus doesn't do here what the sisters wanted him to do. Can we all agree with that? In fact, when the sisters encounter him shortly after, they're going to ask him, where were you? What the sisters want him to do is come and heal their brother so that he doesn't taste death. But Jesus doesn't do what the sisters want him to do so that he can do what the sisters need him to do. And again, not the point of this message by any stretch of the imagination, but a question nonetheless at this first part here I want to ask. What if Jesus isn't working the way you want him to right now because he's working the way you need him to? The Lord has a way of working very paradoxically, if I said that right. He works in paradox at that time. A paradox is something seemingly absurd that when you search out is actually very well founded. Will we trust when the Lord is doing something, not that we want him to do, but it's something we need him to do? Will we trust him in that? Will we trust that he knows better than we do? 
And will these sisters and will his disciples trust that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing at this point right here? And so as they make their way back towards this sleepy little town outside of Jerusalem called Bethany, um, Jesus now is going to make a claim, and it's a bold claim. It's a radical claim. Let's call this claim the, the promise, the promise. Look at what it says in verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for days. I just want you to stop there, and I, I want to make probably the obvious point. What does this mean? This means Lazarus is definitively dead. If you uh, ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, you can go to Bethany, you can walk into Lazarus's tomb. It's one of the neatest experiences you'll ever experience. But we have to understand something. Lazarus laid in that tomb for four days. His sisters and those who loved him are four days into deep weeping and grieving. This is what Jesus walks into. Verse 18, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, and now hear the way she said it. Because what we're going to do is we're going to read ink on page right now. But what we need to do as we read the ink on page is we need to understand that Martha's about to speak some words, but those words are being filtered through a heart that is broken, utterly grief-stricken. And she begins with a question. Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. This whirlwind of grief, this whirlwind of great grief, and this whirlwind with great faith, I believe that if you would have been here, you could have healed my brother. But then there's something, some sort of future hope she's clinging to. But she says, even now, I know that God will give you what you ask. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And now here it is. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so as Jesus makes his way toward Bethany, Martha gets up and she goes out to meet him. And when she comes to him, she says these words, Lord, if you would have been here, 
My brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus says, I, your brother will rise again. And now she's clinging to some future hope. She says, I know, I know, I know, I know he will rise again on the last day. I know there's a day coming out there where the, where the Messiah, where you, you will raise up all those who are dead. But what she can't understand, it wasn't just about that day. It was about what Jesus had in store for, for the very day they were standing in. And, and, and so Jesus says the resurrection isn't just some future event. It for sure is that. But the, the power of the resurrection has to come through me. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the one with the power to raise that which is dead and to breathe his very life into it. And now this has massive implications. The implications are right there in the verse. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Christian man... Christian woman, Christian young person in this room, you need to hear this and you need to worship in this today. If you are in Christ, if you have believed in Jesus Christ to save you from the death penalty of your sin, you will never experience one moment of death. And if you are in, if you are in, this room here today and you're not a Christian and you think where has my friend taken me that these people claim they will not die oh hear me I agree a day is coming on this earth unless Jesus comes back first where this heart will stop beating and this tent will power down but my Savior says on that day to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and I will be more alive than I've ever been. I am the, re Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And anyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you know eternal life begins the day you trusted Jesus Christ? Eternal life isn't something we're waiting for. Yes, we're waiting for the, to be perfected in the presence of heaven, but you, eternal life is assured to you the day you've bowed your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now the question, four words, question mark after, do you believe this? See, the clear teaching of the Bible, and it could not be more clear, the way we come into a right, right relationship with God isn't by working as hard as we can to become as morally good as we can. All of our best moral effort can never make us right with a holy God. So God saw us in our sin, and he says our sin has a penalty attached to it. That penalty is death. God loved us so much that he sent his son, the very one we're studying right here, who would, who would bear that penalty on our behalf, 
who would die the death we deserve to die. And now the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible says that by grace, through faith, one is saved. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? And have you called on the name of the Lord to be saved? So he says, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the claim Jesus has just made to a grieving sister who's just lost her brother. Now, it's one thing, let's see if we agree with this, it's one thing to make that claim. It's another thing to prove that claim. I mean, all of us could leave here and walk into Costco and go, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't recommend this, by the way, okay? <laughs> Be deeply heretical. But all of us could go in and say those words. It's one thing to claim it. It's another thing to prove it. Jesus is going to prove it. And he's going to prove it right here, not in just some futuristic sense. He's going to prove it right there before his eyes, standing outside of, before their eyes, standing outside a tomb. But before he proves the power, his resurrection power, he's actually going to prove to them his love for them first. Part three, I'm calling the passion. Now, what I don't mean by that is the events of Jesus on the cross, and I don't mean some intensity. What I mean by that is what we're about to see here. Before Lazarus is raised from the tomb, you're about to see the loving passion Jesus has for his loved ones in their grief. Look at what it says in verse 28. When she had said this, when Mar Martha had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary, she she, uh, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died there it is again. As Mary came into the presence of Jesus, she fell under the weight of her grief and she cried out words from her grief. Lord, if you had been here, you would not, my brother would not have died. Jesus, when Jesus, verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus, what's your Bible say? Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. This, this was the part in my study this week that actually kind of put me back in my chair. Because what you have in John 11 is Jesus making one of the most powerful statements about himself he can make, that he's the resurrection and the life. 
What you have in John 11 is Jesus displaying the power of that by calling a dead man back to life. But how for so long I've missed the compassion of a weeping Savior who when a weeping Mary bends down at his feet, he is moved by her grief to grief himself. He is moved by her weeping to weeping himself. And, and it just struck me this week, maybe, maybe for the first time, that in, the, in, the, in the, 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 like the smallest verse we have in the Bible, we have one of the biggest pictures of the heart of our Savior. We have a weeping Savior. He's willing to weep with the ones he loves. I needed to sit in that a bit this week. I needed to see that Jesus' immediate reaction wasn't just like, hey, Mary, get up, get up. You got to see what I'm about to do. Hey, Mary, Mary, what, don't, don't cry. It'll, it'll be okay. We have a Savior who weeps with the ones he loves. And some of you have had a weeping kind of week. Some of you know all too well the, the, the grief pangs of death and you've laid in your bed weeping. I, I just found it comforting this week. We have a Savior who weeps. He weeps over the grief of their death knowing that he's about to bring life out of that death. He weeps over the grief of the brokenness in which they're living knowing that one day he's going to make all that brokenness brand new but he's willing to weep. And then he's willing to act. And out of that weeping, we come to part four, the proof. Remember, we said it's one thing to claim that you're the resurrection and the life. It's another thing to prove that you're the resurrection and the life. Let's look at the proof. Verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave. Now look at this description of a tomb, this tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Now, Jesus has an awesome way with tombs like this, okay? Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Can I remind us of some things here? This actually happened. This is a real event in a town called Bethany of a dead man who'd laid there four days being called out of his tomb by the Lord Jesus Christ and he actually walked out. Because when Jesus speaks life over something that's dead, death doesn't have a chance. 
He said it. I am the resurrection and the life. And then he showed it. Lazarus, come out. He called a dead man from his grave. He's the great death defeater. He's the great curse reverser. And long before Indiana Jones, he's the great tomb raider. <laughs> and this is our king, y'all. This is our savior. This is the one who saw a tomb and saw a stone and saw a man four days dead and spoke life over it all. He set up the paradox intentionally. He made the promise. He showed the passionate love he had. And then he proved it. That Jesus Christ really is the resurrection and the life. And guess what? He did it then. And he did it there. And he wants to do it here and in this place today. By calling some of you from your spiritual deadness into life in Christ this very day. Do you believe? And now, as ironic as this story is, it, it gets even a bit more ironic. Because every time Jesus does something like this, it divides the crowds. Some run to him for life, others run away wanting to take his life. Part five, the plans. Look at the plans that are made coming out of this, verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. There's the group believing, but some, verse 46, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. There's their plans. The plans of the religious leaders are to put Jesus to death. The plans of the religious leaders are to take his life coming out of this event with Lazarus. But here's what we have to understand. No one takes Jesus' life from him. He willingly lays it down. And a beautiful display of his love and good news for all of us, the one with the power to bring life out of death would willingly go and die so that we could have life. The one who commanded, move that stone so I can call a dead man out, would willingly lay his body in a tomb with a stone sealed across it so that three days later he could roll that stone away and defeat the power and the curse of death for all time for those who believe. Y'all listen to me. We have to come to terms with these words that Jesus has spoken today. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, 
yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And here's the question for every heart in this room here today. Do you believe this? So I'm just gonna have you stand right where you're at. Just stand up right where you're at, everyone in the room. And I just wanna ask, do you believe that? The reality is if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you walked in here today dead in your sin, but at this moment right now, you can walk out of here today alive in Christ. So as we prepare to worship over the reality of what it is that we've just heard here today, I just ask, is there anyone in the room who says, yeah, I need to believe in Jesus Christ as the resurrection, as my resurrection and life. Would you just slip your hand in the air if that's you? Just be bold enough to say, I need Jesus today. I need to believe today. I need to put my faith in him today. Anyone in this room who's willing to say that today? Who's willing to go, I see that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and I need him. For every Christian in this room, What does it now look like to walk out knowing that you walk with the very resurrection and the life, that you'll never taste death, not a moment? We walk around this world so, fear, so fearful of death, so fearful of death. If you are in Christ, you will not taste death a moment. What does that do in our hearts? If you walked in here today and there's something that looks like it's absolutely dead on arrival in your life. Your marriage is dead. Whatever it is, is dead. Do you see here today that we have a savior who is amazingly powerful at breathing a resurrection life into that which is dead? And maybe all you need today is just some glimmer of hope that Jesus is powerful enough to breathe life into that which is dead. But listen to me, y'all. He is the resurrection and the life. He is that. And we get to follow him in that. And because we follow him in that, though we die, yet shall we live. Amen? You want to sing about it together? Let's sing about it together.